Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education by Kate Colbert and Joe Salustio with contributions by Elvin Freitas is now available for pre-order on Amazon. Get your Kindle edition or your softbound book. It's going to be amazing. Advanced 360 Education is a data-focused digital marketing company with proven positive outcomes for educational institutions. To learn more, visit a360education.com or call Anthony Espinoza at 310-704-5369. That's Advanced 360 Education. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Now officially past 500 episodes of this podcast. And uh, I don't know what to say. Thank you for all of your support. It's kind of a big momentous occasion for us to have past 500 episodes. Um, if, if people ask me all the time, how do you do this? How, how is it that you get this done? Well, um, let me tell you how sophisticated we are here at the Edup Experience, everybody. I record every day standing at my desk. I record every day at lunch. So everybody else goes to lunch. They go and talk about things, have water cooler conversations. No, not me. I come here and I podcast every day. It's kind of like being in another dissertation where I just start writing for an hour. Um, and instead I podcast, it's a lot more fun than writing a dissertation. Uh, but I, I do this every day. And then Elvin every night, um, when he puts his kids to sleep, he goes into his bathroom and he uh, edits and produces the podcast, uh, mostly on his phone. So, you know, no sophisticated equipment, just a burning desire to talk with amazing people in higher ed and bring you, ladies and gentlemen, the best possible content we can uh, to, to help you further your careers, um, pique your interest about what's happening in higher education today. And uh, there you have it. That's that's the entirety of the Edup Experience uh, production, uh, recording and production facilities that we have. Um, I do have a pretty good microphone. And as you know, many of you, I do have sound effects. And so somewhere around episode 250, I think I started figuring out the sound effects. It makes a little bit of a, a cool element um, into these podcasts, I think. Oh, yeah. So um, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We're already on our way to a thousand episodes, probably by the time you hear this, we'll be at 510. Uh, so a couple weeks out, uh, I have a guest with me today who uh, has a lot to say about what's happening in higher education um, with a pretty incredible story. Let's see if we can bring him in in a particular way. Come on, put your hands up in the air. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, Dr. Chuck Ambrose, Chancellor of Henderson State University. Chuck, what is going on? Joe, I tell you, I, I wish I received that kind of uh, welcome uh, in, in all the introductions uh, I have. But, you know, with you uh, broadcasting at lunch and, and Elvin uh, in the bathroom, I, I just don't know how to meet you in between, really. Well, you know what? We, we all do what we can. We all, we all have a way of getting things done. Um, and uh, as I understand it, uh, Chuck, you have a way of getting things done. You've been in higher ed for a very long time, president for a very long time. Um, I'm going to ask you later what you would tell yourself uh, 25 years ago as a college president getting started. So think about that. Uh, but tell us the story. Uh, wh where is Henderson State University? What do you do and how do you do it? Yeah, Joe, thanks for the invitation. And Henderson State uh, is in South Central Arkansas, uh, about an hour south of, of Little Rock, uh, right on the I-30 corridor. Um, it has... Uh, 
Joe, an extraordinary history. Um, and some of those intangibles that we all believe that small colleges uh, kind of represents, it has roots founded uh, as a United Methodist institution. So some of the Wesleyan tradition, right, of, of servant leadership and uh, community uh, still very, very evident. Uh, public mission evolved. Um, like many campuses had one of those catastrophic events of uh, the main campus burning down and then it's students and community uh, circling around an institution, uh, believing in it, uh, bringing it back. Uh, and then um, like many comprehensive institutions, rural serving uh, really represents kind of that hope for college, right? That means the most for students. Um, and uh, been grateful uh, on the part of being invited by the Arkansas State University system uh, out of a relatively short history. Um, Henderson was uh, taken in, right? And nurtured and kind of uh, a part now uh, of a larger system presence in Arkansas under the, the leadership of President Chuck Welch, uh, who made an invitation for me to uh, come uh, and become a part of this institution. So we're grateful to be here. It, it has uh, many elements, right, that represent uh, what is systemic uh, about private higher ed. It has many elements that are systemic about what is evident now in public higher education, and we're th trying to think differently about how to serve students. So, so uh, you've been there for what a year or about? Did you start twenty twenty one? Right, came in the middle of November, um, oh. in the midst of some transitions. Kind of came back in, uh, like so many uh, people, uh, lives impacted by COVID. To say uh, where can I be of uh, most significant impact? Kind of get back to kind of a personal mission along with a professional mission and. Again, uh, really um, grateful, right, to uh, take on uh, what is Henderson today and what we're going to become. So you, th this is going to be a really fascinating conversation because, you know, we've talked to a number of presidents that came in right in the middle of COVID, immediately had to start dealing with all the health, health issues and all that. You kind of come in at the tail end, uh, dare I say, uh, of, of COVID, where people are kind of starting to get back to normal. And you're able to look at this college, this university, and say, okay, um, what are the problems I have to deal with right now? What, what are the, the things that are going well? What are the things that are not going well? How do you start? Like, what does this look like when you, when you come in? How, how do you get going? Because um, I'm assuming, and look, with a lot of colleges who have, uh, most colleges that have barriers in place, there are some obstacles in front of us, whether they be financial, whether they be, um, I always call it the slowness, the factor of higher education. We got to overcome these things so that we can become the future of what we need to become. How do you get started? What does this look like? Tell us the story of you coming in. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because I, I do think uh, as we, you know, think future facing right on leadership, especially strategic leadership for higher ed, there, there's no question uh, that really what started back in 2008, nine with the recession and kind of the reset of the value proposition was extended right with a lot of the systemic disparities that COVID literally ripped the bandage off all systems. Um, it is, um, and, and Joe, I'll, I'll be very direct. It was a calling to come back in and extend you know, over 20 years of, of presidential experience, both in the private and, and public sector to a place uh, that was hurting and in distress. Amazing. Uh, and 
really kind of uh, illuminates again some of the structural deficits. And I'd put it in frame for this because we we are thinking about you know the college presidency. We all know right where the potholes are. Right, we we know where the the deficiencies are. We know where. Uh, some of the, the real structural challenges are, but we also know all the tools that we probably should be using, right, to uh, directly impact short-term and then long-term sustainability. But we work so hard not to, right, because with most of our spending and most of our investment being in people, it's hard to affect change that doesn't impact uh, the people you live and work with every day, right? So uh, in that toolbox of the things that you hope you never have to use or work every day uh, not to use, uh, unfortunately, those structural deficits uh, that had manifest themselves all at one place at one time, uh, again, for our listeners, it wouldn't matter if you're a private sector uh, professional or public, um, discounting of tuition, uh, completion rates, uh, net right, uh, energy and, and revenue created, um, and and really most of it, uh, like private colleges, right, is all about kind of the net energy that student success means. How many students you have? How much does it cost for you to get them? Uh, how long do they stay? And do they feel the value up against the cost? Well, the, the public sector, right, a little different set of coefficients, right? It's mainly over the allocation of resources, how much we spend, how much we borrow, right, to, to leverage the future. And unfortunately for Henderson, many of those deficits, again, found itself all at one place at one time. Uh, some of these uh, challenges manifest themselves back in 2017, right? Stress test and the viability of Title IV. Uh, some of the decisions made really kind of advanced some of these problems, right? Uh, you borrowed more money, you discounted more to drive enrollment, uh, and then the pandemic hits, right? Yep. right. Um, and uh, so um, in the first days uh, from the middle of November, uh, you start uh, really, uh, again, much more relevant to the private sector, thinking about slow to pay your bills, uh, not collecting enough from your students, uh, not being able to think uh, what retention looks like, um, putting aside money for debt service, putting aside cash for payroll. Uh, and uh, within hours and not days, Joe, all of a sudden you say, we, we don't have any cash. Right. Uh, and so one of the tools, uh, unfortunately, I learned very early on um, is in that situation, really to build uh, and utilize a modified cash budget just to be a better steward daily, right, of your cash resources. Uh, and what we quickly found out uh, was that we didn't have any. Um, very rare uh, air for a public institution, right, to uh, privates know how to live uh, from semester to semester and know what it's like to work hard at the end of the fiscal year to, to preserve enough payroll to, to cash flow through the summer. Not, not so much for publics, right, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but uh, unfortunately, again, if you wait too long uh, and you're not willing to make those adjustments incrementally along the way and they accumulate over years and, and even decades, um, it was uh, very difficult, but within uh, the first two and a half months, uh, on February the 3rd, uh, I brought the recommendation to campus to declare financial exigency. Yeah, that's, a, that's always a moment, right? That's, and so what happens? 
when you do that? For, for well, those that don't know, what is it? What is it and what happens when you declare that? You know, it's a higher ed term. Uh, it, it's as close to corporate bankruptcy uh, as um, colleges and universities can find themselves in. Uh, it's really a, an acknowledgement, right, that uh, a lot of our workforce structure and our net cost and, and allocation of instruction uh, are very difficult to change. So exigency is a tool to basically academic restructure uh, in a fairly dramatic fashion. The AUP actually puts it best. Uh, it's a tool for institutions who either wait too long or don't use it at all that puts the, the long-term survivability of the institution at risk. It allows you to make faster financial decisions too, ultimately, right? It allows you to restructure staff, um, uh, academic staff in particular, and say, hey, look, this is not working. We're overspending. We need to make quick adjustments. We may not have, you know, we don't have to go through the faculty um, uh, uh, committee structures to end up with these decisions. We can make them uh, from an administrative level more quickly to save the institution, basically. Yeah, actually, Joe, there's a little element of, of more infusion of shared governance to that because the, the handbook uh, and kind of the faculty governance model actually uh, outlined and uh, predicated the process, right, of how you gain notice. The, the faculty uh, took 14 days to actually affirm uh, the recommendation of exigency. Um, but the compression of time, given the notice and the ability to, to think about programs and people, uh, probably the, the, the most significant cost containment in the shortest amount of time, uh, certainly that a public ha has undertaken. Uh, so what do you do? So let, let me, this is really interesting. So you come in, you, so you know, at least mostly what the financial structure and building blocks are of this university and you come in Henderson state. So you come in and so you, you look at it now and you go, okay, wait a minute. It's a little worse than I thought. Is it exactly what I thought? Is it because sometimes it's hard to look from the outside in. You don't know until you pull, you know, pull the rock, turn it over and you go, oh, no, uh, didn't didn't know about that when I was thinking about taking the job. So you so it's a little bit I'm assuming a little bit worse than you thought and you knew it would be tough. Now it's way tougher than you thought. Now you're declaring ex I can't even I can never say the word exigency. And right. and um, and then what? You know, well, are you just like, what the heck have I gotten myself into? No, you know, again, um, and, and it's a little bit more about the journey, right? Uh, it's exactly in, in many ways uh, what I felt called uh, back into, uh, because again, Henderson represented uh, the very common likeness of the two institutions that I served for 20 years, um, Pfeiffer University for 12 and University of Central Missouri for eight. Uh, and it was actually a confluence, right, of those two uh, lived experiences that said, hey, uh, you know, not only do I know what's happening here, but here's how, you know, we've addressed things in the past and what we would need to do. There, there's two levels, right? Uh, one, um, Henderson kind of best represents, again, some of the structural deficits that we're all challenged with, the, the amount, right, the, the enormity of it is just more, more significant here. Right. Um, but the, the short term, um, the, the cash position uh, was much more severe than anyone recognized. Um, and, um, you know, fortunately, Joe, again, I think there's a, a whole toolbox 
of elements that, that are available to be used. Uh, and a modified cash budget is the quickest, most direct way to kind of assess uh, literally what's in your bank account. It's no different than going home to our families and saying what's in checking, what's in savings, and how much is going out every month. And wow, uh, we're not going to be able to pay people in June, right? Morning. Uh, so it, it was uh, no one, uh, especially... And you know what, mask it. And, and again, uh, we all live with this daily uh, at one degree or another, but her funding uh, and stimulus funding just masks, right? What the, the allows cash you to position. not have a problem for, for we, we allow everybody to not have a problem for a little bit. And now CARES funding and her funding is going to go away and people go, oh, wow, we have a $6 million deficit or a $9 million deficit. What are we going to do? Just put one more can that you could kick, right, for a little longer. Um, and again, um, grateful uh, to a CFO, uh, Bernadette Hinkle, that could join and lock arms uh, on a, a tactical analysis, right, to identify the problem quickly. Uh, but it, it took two weeks, right, to, to put a, a good cash flow model together. Uh, you know, the second tool, though, Joe, that's much more at the strategic level, and I would commend this, um, and we had a great partnership with uh, the Huron Group to, to build out this toolkit, but um, if you don't know what the unit-based cost of delivery of your degree is by program, um, you can't improve yourself, right? Uh, now, in our case, when you're going through an academic restructuring and, and looking at the academic productivity and the instructional allocations, uh, there's a lot of reasons, and I'll say this to friends and colleagues who may listen to this podcast, there's a lot of reasons that many of us don't want people to know. Because we have so many uh, confounding variables that we bring together to make it all work. But at the same time, even if you're affluent, even if you have endowment, even if you're able to, to generate uh, decent net revenue, right, uh, you can still improve overall performance and outcomes and stewardship of your resources. In our case, uh, it was very difficult that our instructional allocations meant every one of our academic programs were underwater in terms of the net tuition they were generating. Uh, um, and we didn't have reserves uh, to, to see us through. Um, and so, uh, one of those tools that's most powerful today for, for the next general of leadership is data informed storytelling, uh, because the only really power we have to affect change is truth. Uh, and, Amazing. uh, it's, uh, it's the kind of truth again, across, uh, all sectors and all institutions that we, we, and it's especially relevant right now in this enrollment season, right? Uh, wh where are you? You know, what's the enrollment? Is it up or down? Which doesn't talk anything about discount rate. It doesn't talk anything about what's the mix of your students. Uh, and at the same time, uh, we could have a lot of institutions that are serving more students, but have less resources to do it with. Advanced 360 Education is a data-focused digital marketing company with proven positive outcomes for educational institutions. Advanced 360 Education does not simply rely on instinct to make assumptions about audiences or key data points. Rather, through data intelligence, client strategies take on a higher level of effectiveness. To learn more, visit a360education.com or call Anthony Espinoza at 310-704-5369. That's 310-704-5369. 
That's Anthony Espinoza at Advanced 360 Education. Yeah, it's it, the, this, the discounting is really, it, it masks it masks your problem internally and externally, right? It's, I, I can, we can discount to 95% of tuition and I can increase enrollment, no problem. We discount everybody at 95%, we're going to have hundreds more students than we would have had before, um, hypothetically. But then you've got no net tuition revenue, and then you can't pay people. And then you want to go dip, and we, you, you, you did something that I do a lot too, Chuck, and, and say, okay, think about your bank account at home. You don't want to spend more than you make because then you got to go to your savings account, and if you do that too much, then you won't have a savings account, and then you can't pay your bills. And, you know, you're speaking so um, businessy. Uh, Chuck, it's uh, in higher ed, we're kind of business adverse, at least in the field of the annals of higher education and, you know, talk to some people and education's a business. It's not a business. It's not a marketplace. That is a marketplace. Students are a consumer, not a consumer. Um, but when you get the books in your hands and you have a fiduciary responsibility, eventually you have to go, how much am I spending? How much am I making? And how much do I have in my savings account? So you do have to look at least at the bottom line business terms to understand the business, right? Well, and, and you know, Joe, it, it, it doesn't, it's not healthy to read the Chronicle Daily, right, uh, about uh, some of these factors, but uh, let, let's turn it into a, a you know, a, a growth mindset, right? Uh, faculties, campuses, the jobs they do, they deserve resources, right? They, they want modern equipment. Uh, you want career laddering. You, you, you want to, uh, you know, invert the salary compression that most professionals are under unless they, they move and, and uh, have to relocate. Um, and so we're, you know, we're at the end, right, of a, a downward spiral of inflation, uh, college cost, net tuition. And I, I don't mean to be prophetic because I spent you know, many years in the private sector on your side of the, the equation. But I said, when publics begin to discount to generate enrollment, right, uh, the spiral would be 10 times faster. And that's where we find ourselves, right? You've got any number of R1s who are serving thousands of more new students uh, who have regional impact on every enrollment-driven institution within their service region, right? Uh, and they're only doing that because they can, uh, which really makes the rest of us have to respond with the kinds of financial aid packaging and awards that incentivizes. And of course, when you get down into the small privates that uh, utilize tools like music and, and athletics, right, uh, you're, you're literally buying students uh, to, to attend. It, it you know, and, and so as we slippery look Slippery slope, right? Very slippery slope. Yeah, we're on it, right? I mean, we are we are definitely uh, we're sliding uh, at a pretty fast pace, and it's all dictated. Uh, and a lot of people have asked about, uh, you know, the the loan forgiveness and 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 giving up student loans, but it does not do anything, Joe, to address the the reality that college just costs too much, right? It takes too long. Uh, there's too much of a gap between degrees and and the kind of competitive skills uh, that our communities say need to drive them forward and when you finance it with debt if we could you know if we could turn the business of higher ed into what it was intended to do and that's complete students with a degree uh, our resources would take care of themselves right 
but when public four years still hover in the 60s, right, uh, our, our completion rate was in the 30s. For our Pell eligible students, it was in the 20s. The uh, equity reality of what public college meant for students who attended Hen Henderson is we became part of their generational challenge, not the, the promise of hope that the college is meant to represent because we were not getting our students across the finish line with a degree. That's interesting uh, so you put it that way, part of their generational challenge rather than, so it'd be becoming part of the problem instead of the solution almost is, uh, you, you know, uh, because, because, you know, there's still 39 million students with no co some college, no degree. So there is a huge population of students we are trying to finish off so that we could deliver. I say we all higher education can deliver on the intent of what we were supposed to do in the first place, which is to finish them off and get them a degree. Right. But now we have to go back in time and say, how do we get it done? How to reform the model? Um, you know, we can forgive debt for lots of people, but if you don't fix the income, if you don't fix the student who's taking out debt tomorrow at an institution they might not finish from, then this problem a few years from now is the same exact problem again. Debt forgiveness was the consequence. It's not the antecedent. It's not going to fix the problem. It's a little bit. It's, I say. I said it to a colleague of mine. It's like putting. It's like the Hoover Dam has a hundred cracks, and you just put a piece of gum on one crack. Um, it's it's not doing anything other than that one stream of people, which is not the majority of, of students who go to college right now. No, and I tell you, Joe, I'm an optimist actually, and I'll take a again a more of a growth mindset. And when I transitioned from uh, the University of Central Missouri to Knowledge Works, I went into a space, right, that most higher ed, most post-secondary leaders need to know is out there, uh, especially within the personalized competency-based learning. Um, and we've got not only, you know, a next generation of leaders who are going to figure this out, the most exciting dynamic is we've got a whole next generation of learners who are already figuring it out, yeah. right? And they've got tools like uh, no other to uh, actually not just cobble together, but actually self-engineer, right, the kind of learning outcomes that it, it requires to be competitive. So this is, a, this is one of those inflection points that actually uh, our students become our teachers, right? Uh, our outcomes are based on learning and the agency, right? And, and I think COVID is, there is going to be some deficits, no question, right? But there's also going to be uh, a whole new set of attributes to learning, right, that is going to help reshape higher ed at a speed that none of us ever anticipated, right? So we're all ready for. But how exciting, right? Uh, yeah. If, you know, if we're willing uh, to, to really think uh, what customized, what individualized, what personalized kinds of supports are required, right, to help a student be successful. Uh, and uh, there's no doubt, right, Joe, going through an exigency process, restructuring an academic program, uh, basically thinking about building a new workforce model uh, that you can't get there from here. None of us, right? None of us have enough resources to uh, actually buy those supports, but we certainly have a lot of resources in terms of net spend to reallocate our supports differently uh, that can better serve students. And again, students are figuring this out a lot of institutions are figuring this out. Uh, and at the, uh, at the end, uh, you know, we're going to be able to reverse those trends where college costs are actually within the realm of value. Uh, time is uh, gonna be built on competencies and not credit hours or semesters. 
Uh, and we're going to have full-on partnerships with uh, workforce industry, uh, the private sector, to help produce those outcomes. Because again, that's one reason that so many uh, companies are providing, you know, education as a part of their packages, because they get it right. Um, and uh, so, even though this is one of those periods where uh, the change is is certainly impactful uh, and purposeful, but it, it also lends itself uh, to more opportunities mm -hmm. uh, to create the future of college that actually works. Yes, yes, yes. Love that. So let's go back to your story. Six months later, uh, after February, and uh, where are you? Where's Hend Henderson State in its journey to recovery, and uh, how do you feel about the progress? Well, um, you know, one of the bits of grace that a, a campus community needs going through this much transition is what we're calling year zero, uh, because it's a lot of change. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, to tell the Henderson story, uh, and if I told you, uh, you know, it is a school with a heart and, and our mascot is a spirit uh, rather than, a, 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 as we say, no mere beast, uh, it'd be true. Uh, there's a resiliency uh, and a purpose. And, uh, you know, Joe, you'll experience that. I know at, at Lindenwood, right? There's, there's a certain number of your students who believe that there's no better place for them to learn uh, than your institution. Right. Um, and so uh, this is a year of kind of flooring, right? Finding out where um, our base is, our baseline to grow from. Uh, on uh, June the 7th, uh, Governor Hutchison brought together the Secretary of Education uh, and representing kind of a P20 uh, look at what our learning community looks like and uh, affirmed the fact that we could build something different if we use partnerships. Um, the Arkansas State University system has been an incredible uh, resource of bridging those partnerships together. And uh, we are already having some of those uh, emerge. So. We, um, we're down in, in enrollment. You, you would expect that when you eliminate 25 academic programs um, right. and, and have to teach out those on, on schedule. Uh, but at the same time, we've got a foundation to, to build from uh, that as we think about those three jobs that students hire us to do, right? Open the door of access and then make certain we're more successful with the students we do have um, in a uh, geographical, you know, favorable location. Uh, we're ready to, to put all the pieces together in year zero and, and, and have a college, as we've talked about, reimagining college that works for all students uh, as we emerge over the next 18 to 24 months. Wonderful. You know, one thing you said about eliminating 25 academic programs, it sounds sounds sometimes worse than it is. I mean, of course, it's it's not good when you, you know, you're going to reform, you know, you have faculty that you can't carry in anymore, you have students that won't come to your institution, but you're taking all of the resources from those 25 academic programs that maybe were not viable. And you're going to take those resources and put them into programs that are more viable, that might be more popular, that might get you more students over the long run, because those programs now have an infusion of resources that they wouldn't have had before. So it's not just I think it's important to note for people who are looking and going, oh, no, no, it, it's not like you lose 25% of your resources. You're going to reallocate some of those resources to growth goals. Well, and um, again, use a lot, utilizing some tools uh, like an academic portfolio, there's, there's three outcome metrics, right? Is how well do we align with the highest demands for talent and competencies for our community? So we know what the high demand needs are, um, healthcare, 
um, business innovation, entrepreneurship, applied science, uh, technology, uh, social sustainability. So what we've done is bundle right our uh, degree offerings uh, into learning communities that represent the broad categories right of the competencies. We actually become more uh, by doing less, uh, more options, more competencies, uh, and at the same time. Um, that model recognizes all of our student success metrics. Uh, and you can believe the improvements, Joe, that you make uh, by virtue of just paying attention to your net revenue. So when you yeah. operate with a modified cash budget, it's amazing. Uh, now we've had to do some very hard and difficult things. We, we furloughed uh, all of our faculty and staff uh, for the last third of the, 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 the academic year last year. Uh, we academically restructured, which has that human impact that no one wants to, to ever do. Uh, but it does represent, right, the, the overhead costs that are kind of cooked into our model that make uh, the work we do every day uh, pretty difficult. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I don't want to uh, let you get away without answering my first question that I wanted to give you. I gave you kind of a little heads up that I was going to ask you. I'm going to ask it in two ways. What's the advice that you give to presidents now? Think of one piece of advice that you think would help a president, the current president, because right now in your first year, right now you're more typical of the college and university president. You're less typical in your 12 year run and your year run because the, the runs are around like five years and going down, people are not wanting to do, uh, become college presidents as um, often as they have in the past for a number of reasons. So what do you say to a president now that's maybe mid-careers, got some, you know, five, 10 years behind them? And what do you say to the brand new president, something you wish you knew before that you know now? That's uh, a great question, right? Because uh, I, I have a, an incredible indebtedness. Um, there was a, a couple role models that kind of set forth. I actually left Furman University as an undergraduate because of, of Dr. Gordon Blackwell and Dr. John Johns actually thinking I wanted to be a college president. They, they just made it look like uh, the, the best job on the planet. Uh, and uh, to be able, uh, and I'll say privileged, right, to serve in that role for uh, well over two decades, right, uh, it, it is still one of the best jobs on the planet planet because there's no more developmental opportunity to impact lives than, than you have in the roles that, that we serve. Uh, but it's changed, right? Um, and and uh, I would say this first to boards uh, and governance uh, that you need to empower, right, not only in the selection, uh, but in the support of your campus leadership, the willingness to do the right thing. Um, because again, you, you know what it is. There, there's no no doubt. Uh, now, um, there's been some interesting commentary lately uh, about, you know, the fact that most of us build our careers off growth, uh, uh, off uh, pushing institutions to, to new heights. Uh, and then uh, what do we do? Uh, we leverage that and, and move on to the next job. And meanwhile, everyone who cares and loves about the place is, is still there, whether it's in a better place or not. Uh, but I do think if you commit, right, to uh, leaving it uh, stronger uh, on uh, quantifiable measures, better than you found it, you will, right? Um, the other is probably my most key learning, right, uh, is grow leaders around you, right? Empower. 100%. Uh, empower shared leadership to a way in which 
you're only part of and, and your guide, uh, you know, especially for those of you who have had um, extraordinary experiences, uh, just allow, right, for that key leadership team uh, across the leadership for faculty and staff, right, to, uh, to do the right thing and not be afraid to. Uh, and uh, so from the governance standpoint, if, if boards enable that in presidents and presidents encourage that, uh, I actually think it's the kind of, of career laddering and purple relevance, let's say, I was going to say purposefulness uh, that people are looking for uh, when they go to work every day. I love it. That's such a great piece of advice and one that's kind of timeless, right? You got to build great people around you that know the work. They're passionate about it. Um, we like to end our episodes. Uh, Chuck, I'd probably talk to you all day. I'm pretty sure I could. Um, and uh, we, we would have a back and forth uh, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, but alas, uh, we are both busy professionals here in higher education. So I'm going to end with the last two questions. Anything you want to say, number one, about Henderson State University that hasn't been said, and important facts you want the audience to know, anything at all that you can think about Henderson State? And what do you see as the future of higher education? <laughs> yeah. You're right about the, the, the all-day kinds of answers, uh, but I, I, I think in Henderson's case, uh, it, it all goes down to the, the value of relationships and people, mentorships. Um, I've heard this said more recently in different ways, uh, but to persist a student and, and really help them uh, be successful, they only need one or two real reasons. Uh, and most likely, uh, you are one of two of those reasons. Um, and uh, in Henderson's case, uh, it's hard. Uh, and now, you know, going through uh, years of, of struggle and, and willing to not just hang in there, but build a better place, those are the attributes that are going to make uh, us successful, right? Uh, and so stay tuned, right? I, I would say that's that's what I would uh, look to in virtue. There, there's no doubt uh, you mentioned the future of higher ed. Uh, if we do not change, right? If we don't consider uh, restating that value proposition and translating that into a cost that people are not only able to afford, but willing, um, our challenges are only gonna get worse. Yikes. Um, and uh, so my encouragement is uh, to lead, uh, lead aggressively and do what's right for students. Uh, and uh, many of the things we worry about every day will, will take care of themselves. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what an episode uh, from a very experienced man in the biz. Um, we're going to follow your journey at Henderson State. Hopefully, we can have you back in six months from now, Chuck, six to eight months, and say, hey, how's it going? You're going to go, oh, gosh, you know, totally reformed. Maybe maybe a little longer than that. But we, well, you we know, know Joe, I, I used to say that you know 20 years as a college president was 225 dog years i think i'm moving <laughs> into the like 300s now so that's well you know what i understand and covid didn't help any of that let's just be honest it, it took a toll on all of us uh, but you're in uh, henderson state university i know you're in great hands with uh with my guest today ladies and gentlemen dr chuck ambrose he's chancellor at henderson state university and you've just add up Effective marketing for educational institutions requires a dedicated partner that understands the complex, constantly evolving digital landscape in which colleges, universities, and career schools compete. The EdUp Experience podcast partner, Advanced 360 Education, 
is a data-focused digital marketing company with proven positive outcomes for educational institutions. Advanced 360 Education does not simply rely on instinct to make assumptions about audiences or key data points. Through data intelligence, client strategies take on a higher level of effectiveness, whether the goal is driving enrollment, alumni engagement, or other educational marketing campaigns. To learn more, visit a360education.com or call Anthony Espinoza at 310-704-5369. That's Anthony Espinoza, 310-704-5369, a360education.com. 